Welcome to the Depth and Light Podcast. I'm J.D. Pirtle. As humanity takes measures to slow the spread and effects of the coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19, businesses, schools, and many public gathering places are shutting down or being restricted. This is very worrisome for all of us, and as of now, there are many unknowns. Educators of all types are facing the many challenges of a school system which has seemingly overnight been converted to distance learning only. In this ongoing series, we will be talking to educators each week about the difficulties, surprises, and discoveries they are meeting as they continue to teach during this unprecedented world event. Okay, Kelly and Joan, uh, thank you so much for joining me today, especially considering everything that's going on. Um, I wondered if we could just start by maybe you guys could introduce yourselves, tell us your names, um, what you normally teach in uh, you know, uh, the world before all this happened, and kind of how you've adapted to what's happening and what you're teaching now. Kelly, want to go first? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so my name is Kelly um, Huxwell. I teach kind of makerspace um, technology integration at a Montessori school, toddler through eighth grade, um, south of Boston. Um, right now, we are technically on break. Hmm. Um, so we have started to kind of utilize this kind of open time to figure out what our plan of action is moving forward, um, creating that interface, hmm. um, focusing away from distance learning and trying to do at-home support, especially in a Montessori follow-the-child environment. It's very mm. different than traditional kind of content being pushed out. But mm. We can talk more about that after. Sure. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting approach. Joan, what about you? So um, I'm a, a recovering rocket scientist, which is where I started out originally, but um, through a whole bunch of twists and turns, I migrated into 3D printing. And now my uh, partner and I have a um, a uh, small business that uh, consults for makerspaces, and we uh, d- develop courses for Lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we have written eight books of uh, of maker tech. And so, um, you know, so at some point we can give your listeners that. And so, what we've been doing, we we were consulting largely to help people figure out how to make things in person, and now we've transitioned. Um, you know, in addition to our content that exists and helping people go virtual. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like you guys were, you know, not necessarily prepared for this, like you had consciously prepared, but you were certainly were prepared as a company um, with all of your online offerings. Kelly, kind of turning back to what you said about the Montessori approach, um, you know, thinking about what Maria Montessori might be doing right now. I mean, what, what are you, how are you guys guiding parents? Because certainly there is so much um, in social media, in the news about, parents doing like, you know, five times as much as they normally do. They're working from home. They're managing their children. They're also kind of providing um, some roles of the teacher or the at school administrator um, in some cases. So how are you kind of um, coaching parents and teachers through this time? Right now, um, parents are home trying to figure out this new normal. and mm-hmm. And since we're on vacation, it's this weird kind of situation, but teachers have been reaching out, um, kind of that connectedness piece, 
when we're mm-hmm. thinking about Montessori, we're thinking about the whole child and we're thinking about how do we stay connected in a community when we're all kind of at distance. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of kind of our educational perspective is that kind of sense of community. So we've been working on ways to support the parents um, if they have questions, setting up like Zoom meetings um, as they figure out this new normal. A lot with like Montessori is follow the child. And that can seem for some people really kind of, you know, disconnected to the scheduling or having something kind of concrete to hold on to. So we're creating flexible schedules. We're trying to, you know, curate resources for them. I mean, there's so many resources that have come online in the last week. It's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, it's that kind of like, where are people mentally? And whatever you do is, 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 I don't think should be judged. I think it's hard when there's so many resources you feel like you should be doing so much every day. But when you have small people, as we've told, like, as we've seen where people are trying to interview and whatever, and little kids are coming in, and it gets... Mm-hmm it gets crazy and the days are just very different than what um, you're used to. And kids are trying to figure out their schedule. They like routine, small people like routine. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just going to create an ecosystem that allows like us to support them in a way that feels not pressured. Mm-hmm. So. so turning to you for a second, Joan, um, so how has your model shift? I mean, you guys are consultants and, you know, it sounds like you have a lot of online content for people. Um, but you had mentioned something about kind of helping people navigate just regular tools, not necessarily even maker tools, but are you guys helping people figure out how to use zoom, how to do uh, video conferencing? Are you guys really focused on how to maybe 3d model and prepare a model that could be printed, but since some people don't have printers at home, kind of, that's kind of the end of, uh, the pipeline for that? Or have you guys kind of shifted your whole business model during this? Well, we had, um, fortunately, you know, things as a consultant yourself, you probably know things come in waves. And at at the Mm -hmm. moment, just by sheer coincidence, almost all of our, um, business was, uh, was online prepared was content. And so we were developing content. And so, you know, my partner and I had to sort of divide up our worldly collective goods and, um, and decamp and, um, you know, tried to figure out how to make that work. And so the biggest thing we've been doing at the moment is there's an after-school program that we work with that is very much an in-person gifted kids after-school place. Mm-hmm. And um, they have no experience with this. And so we've been helping them navigate, um, you know, the the various challenges with that and pick out tools and, you know, their instructors. I mean, obviously we are very used to doing video. We can just you know, do video at the drop of a hat and create things for, you know, for flip, for uh, Flipgrid and things like that for them. Um, mm-hmm. And we found Flipgrid to be a great tool um, to, to mit for kids to mimic that. But, you know, it's, there's some challenges like you have to get permission from parents because if the kids are under 13, there's all these copper rules to deal with. And, and so that has been very new for people. Um, the other thing we've been doing is trying to help a robotics team go virtual Mm. And keep themselves occupied and and productive and motivated, because as you probably I don't know if you know this, but First Robotics, which I'm very involved in, um, is a huge program, mm-hmm. and a third of the way through the season, you know, the hammer fell, and um, I was lead judge at an event, um, you know, like two days before all this started. So we we went under that wire with a competition with two thousand kids from six countries. <laughs> 
and like two days later, the world ended, you know, so it's, it's been interesting helping everybody navigate this. Yeah. So speaking of first, I'm thinking of like, you know, in, in the same kind of way that, um, sports teams, like say you're a senior in high school and this is your last, you know, chance to play in a certain sporting season. I'm sure the kids who are in first, and this is their last hurrah before college, you know, that's kind of all kind of dried up because first is such a, I mean, I I've been to, uh, university of Illinois at Chicago here and, you know, they take over the basketball courts and it's just amazing to see what first does, but that's, uh, I mean, are there strategies that first is using to virtualize this or is it just impossible with the physical and present nature that the seasons normally have? Well, they're, they're, um, you know, obviously debating internally, depending on how long this goes on. I mean, initially there was officially the season is suspended which means that potentially some events could be pushed out. Um, you know, they've said they've uh, canceled the championships because it's not going to be practical, but um, the season is, is officially suspended. What um, the team that I work with um, has done is create a Slack channel and the school has, is, you know, has sent uh, people virtual as a private independent school. Mm-hmm. And so we are, um, you know, thinking about what kind of design skills uh, can the kids learn, you know, that will position them better, you know, what were some weaknesses of the team this year that they mm-hmm. can work on virtually and, and have them do that for now. Right. So Kelly, um, kind of getting back to what you were saying about, um, so what are you, what are you seeing that's working for parents? If they try to, um, you know, use a student-centered Montessori approach, what are some strategies that you, I mean, have you heard any feedback from parents that certain strategies on how to manage the home and manage their children as their own children and also kind of their students that are really working? I think um, one example was we put together kind of creativity in the home Mm -hmm. um, and I created a little video and the work that I do using the same language with the kids, um, kind of extending that and making sure that we're connected in that front. Um, We do a lot of like I call construction and modification Mm -hmm. um, and testing with my four-year-olds and um, kindergartners and first, second and third graders, lower elementary students. And so I created a video and I said, find a friend and, you know, um, the narrative piece when the kids are doing projects, connecting um, in that way, instead of just like, oh, build something, build something for someone or for a little friend creates a whole dynamic. I think that really immerses the kids um, in the learning, trying to keep it playful, Mm -hmm. not stressful um, is hard. I know. so kids have been sending videos um, and pictures of things they've been creating for a habitat for a little animal friend that they might have. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's one example of um, things we're trying to do and keep going because I teach a lot of classes during the week. And now it'll be sad not to have those classes. So being able to connect with those kids, not per se at that time or expect the same output, but being able to just share what we're doing, inventing things or crafting and we all have different things at our house so trying to figure out what what do your supplies look like what does someone else's and just because you don't have something that they have you can still make something happen and so we talk about that a lot like constraints on resources is a big thing that we talk about on a normal week you know Mm -hmm. you only might get five legos how are you going to make with just five legos Mm -hmm. so putting those pieces on it i think helps the kids actually spend more time doing it that makes sense mm-hmm. like so hoping to just start incorporating the parents into these different ideas for the smaller folks 
Sure. And I think, uh, you know, a colleague shared on Instagram a few days ago, um, a, a big parent question that they were getting, they teach a preschool class. And, you know, the big question is, how do I homeschool my preschooler? And the, uh, the my colleague answered with one simple thing, play, like let them play, play with them. I mean, and in, in so much of like early childhood is kind of play and social emotional learning. Um, I mean, do you think that parents can kind of, I mean, obviously children, like you mentioned, love a schedule. They love limits. They love guidelines and consistency. Um, it just makes them feel more secure. A lot of people, um, a lot of experts say, but do you think that there's a certain grade range or age range that we can kind of just relax and engage our children with play? I mean, and, and what range would that be? I mean, what, um, that you would recommend? Um, just, I have two children and they are eight and nine years old. So they are a second mm -hmm. grader and a fourth grader. Um, and they've been in Montessori their entire lives. I would say even my second grader, they've like immersed themselves. Like she immerses herself in like, she reads a ton. It's mm -hmm. not forced. It's not scheduled. Um, it's just putting it out there, making it, making it enticing for them. Um, mm -hmm. talking about something. If, if you are going to watch TV or you need them to watch something, maybe it's more something more slow, like a documentary, something that's not going to get them all kind of jived up. And then you have all that energy from this exciting show that now you have to figure out what to do with. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and let them, one big thing is if they are doing something and they're independently working and focused, just leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Like, don't ask them what they're doing. Don't ask them about it. Just leave them alone. And they'll invite you in later and talk to you when they want to bring you in. But that letting them just focus for a long time, I think you'll be surprised how long they can stay with something. Sure. And that skill will build. And I think that's one thing. Um, when you're with the child a lot, you give them more space for that. Where mm -hmm. if you're kind of, if they're at school and you're at work, you want to engage more. So you mm -hmm. might interrupt those you know, that might be a habit of what are you working on? How's it going? Versus just if they're over there, just leave them over there as long as they're not injuring any other family members. Sure. Um, or themselves. Yeah. But it's definitely going to be the next two weeks, I think is going to be definitely eye opening for a lot of folks as we kind of reevaluate how we approach things. Sure. So Joan, um, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot, um, you know, since 3D printing and 3D modeling is such a huge, you know, or a core part of you guys' curriculum and business. Um, I mean, I've been kind of advocating with my clients and in, in the classroom for several years that 3D printing is a logical output of 3D modeling, but it is just one of many. Are there different, what would you recommend for like, say the really enterprising or entrepreneurial parent who wants their child to continue 3D printing or 3D modeling, I mean, what are some good outcomes or outlets that children can have at home um, that aren't 3D printing? Well, I think just um, creating a 3D model that that uh, solves a design constraint is always a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there are a couple of tools that are free. There's Tinkercad.com. Mm -hmm. There's um, OpenSCAD, which is a free um, coding program you can download at OpenSCAD.org. And those are both um, programs that, you know, you can do a lot of work with. Um, our um, 3D printed science projects book um, has a lot of models that are prefabbed that you can download. And then the idea is that they're, they have parameters in them so you can change a few numbers based on the science. And so you can say, ah, the 3D model looks like this and this and this. And so that way online um, you can, if you don't have a 3D printer, you can still learn the skills to do 3D modeling. And that kind of stuff. So that's 
part of what we've been encouraging. The other point to um, to riff off Kelly here a little bit is I've taught online for 20 years at the university level. And one of the best practices is somehow to let the students interact. And um, that's a real challenge, particularly with COPPA rules. And so, you know, I think if there's any way to let the kids somehow feel that they still have their pals as a group, um, mm-hmm. uh, I've really liked Flipgrid for that. And that has its own challenges because um, it's not synchronous. And we've been talking about trying to do Zoom um, with uh, kids who are about 11 or 12, um, you know, just mm-hmm. for this business of keeping a schedule and, um, and also to, uh, you know, to let them share ideas because this is a, this particular after school place is, is for very high energy gifted kids who, you know, they found their tribe, right. You know, and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. their tribe's not there. And, um, you know, for privacy reasons, they don't normally share any of this contact information. And so there's a whole lot of, of tensions there that a school administrator has to manage. Sure. So, so, you know, uh, back to the kind of the 3d printing aspect of this, it, do you see people using things like uh, online services like Shapeways? I mean, have you, have you seen that like services like Shapeways are still, and for people who don't know what Shapeways is, I mean, it's just one of many um, places where you could upload an STL or a DXF or an OBJ or some kind of 3d uh, printing uh, 3D modeling um, file format and get your print printed and sent to you at your home. Is that something you see people doing? Is that something you would advocate for if people just really want to get, if students really want to see these designs um, turn into something they can hold in their hand? Um, I would say that uh, support your local small 3D printing business because they're everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And if you uh, Google that, Shapeways is a very expensive um, service and that is more aimed for high-end um, artists and, you know, be a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. a couple hundred dollars to make anything. Um, but you know, a lot of smaller, um, providers are going to be struggling now and, you know, whether they're open because they're considered, you know, critical paths because they're making emergency things or whether they're, they mm-hmm. have to be closed is going to be kind of a jurisdictional thing. Um, but I would encourage people to support your, your local, um, your local small business, um, you know, here in California, we have a lot of them, you know, whether that's distributed or not. Um, the other thing mm-hmm. is that a printer is about 200 bucks. Um, you know, there's some printers that are $200 that we refer them fondly as fire starters. So, you know, read the, mm-hmm. don't buy one of those, but there's, there's some brands that are quite good and, and, you know, between two and $300 and you, that's probably what it would cost to print two things at Shapeways or someplace like that. Um, so, you know, if you want to get into this, you know, this is the, if you have the kid has time on their hands, you know, and they're not really little cause these, these things are hot, um, in mm-hmm. parts and they are electronics and they are a little fragile, but you know, technically most of them say 13 and up, but you know, if you're standing right there, you're standing right there. Right. Um, sure. so, you know, one option is just buy a printer for a couple hundred bucks and, and, you know, learn to use it together. And, and we're hoping that a lot of people might wade into that and, um, and think that that's an interesting thing to, to try to do as a, the ultimate rainy day thing, I guess. Sure. Are there any models? I mean, I, I agree with you that the, probably the vast majority of the sub $500 printers, you're going to spend more time fiddling and uh, troubleshooting than printing. But are there some two to $300 models that just really stick out to you that you really would recommend and have enjoyed or seen good results from? Well, the, um, the most stable one in that, in that very low cost range we found is the Creality Ender 3. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that's reality with the C in front. Um, and so, uh, you know, what that, 
how accessible those are with uh, their Chinese and so how accessible that is with um, mm. stuff from China. Um, slightly um, more, it's sort of more the, the uh, a few times that, but a bigger printer and a more stable one is uh, Prusa from Prusa Research, um, mm -hmm. which I guess their website's Prusa 3D. And Yosef Prusa mm -hmm. is a acquaintance of ours, and those are very solid machines. And there's a lot of clones of his machines, and the clones are of uneven quality. So, so mm -hmm. I would see so if you're going to buy something, you don't know what you're doing. I'd suggest a Creality if you have to be low cost. If you want something a little better quality, probably a Prusa. Yeah, and I think he they uh, released a mini, correct? Um, about yeah. eight, six months ago, nine months ago. So it's a little more lower cost. I certainly, you know, seeing Prusas in, in um, my clients' uh, labs, and that is, have been so impressed with the tool. Uh, the only thing I would caution people is the assembly of one is, uh, you know, more complicated and takes longer than people realize. But I think we have a lot of time in our hands, and that's a great lesson unto itself how to properly assemble and calibrate a printer. Um, so Kelly, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about with the, like kind of what you've talked about and the Montessori model, I think that it, this is probably like a scary time for teachers in the sense that they are used to kind of being the conduit of knowledge and kind of the center of the classroom, or, you know, in a lot of cases still at the front of the classroom sitting at their desk. Is this a time when we can put students, make student centered learning the norm when it maybe hasn't been? Um, do you think that there are some habits that we will carry over as educators or hopefully carry over after all of this um, is under control? Um, I think the this is a great opportunity, I think, for um, for everyone involved. Like, we're so scheduled, I feel like, sometimes that we're not able to just let kids just do things. So I think having the ability to really focus and extend on something, mm -hmm. especially in uh, working in a makerspace um, with all ages, um, that social community aspect is critical, but also time just to sit on something, just to be able to mm -hmm. work on it uninterrupted and kind of work through that frustration. Um, I think as a culture, especially our younger folks, it's so easy to get caught up. It's very, everything's very quick. Now we're kind of slowing mm -hmm. that down. And this aspect for a lot of them, for a lot of us is going to be very shocking. Um, but it gives you time to dig into things, to watch those like, you know, YouTube videos. I always say to my kids, there's probably no question you've been asked that hasn't been asked on a YouTube video or answered mm -hmm. by a YouTube video. Um, even way before I remember threads when, um, in like the nineties, we used to be like, oh, every question's been answered. Even then mm -hmm. it was just a question of locating it. So I think curating information for students, giving them the resources and then giving them the space and time that we've been kind of forced upon, I think is, is going to be an interesting adventure for all of us. I think when we reevaluate education, when this is done, I think it'll come back to really what the heart of it is, what our schools, the collaborative pieces for people to come together as a community. I might be interested in one thing and you might be interested in another alone. We'd never know about each other's interest and they might cross over. I always say that like making an art, are so combined, like the thinking mm -hmm. between being an artist and being like a software you know, coder is so, they're so the same, I say to the kids, how we approach things, how we think about it, resources. And I know here's an opportunity to really kind of let kids explore that and see that. You can do coding if you only like art. Like it's, I feel like we can break down a lot of barriers 
lot of opportunities in this kind of unsure time. Yeah, I think that's great. And I certainly hope that um, on the other side of this, we've torn down some old institutional things that were not working and that we recognize that we're not working. Um, and this is just kind of our opportunity to do so. Um, kind of turning to a personal note, I mean, how are each of you doing? What are some self-care strategies you might be willing to share? Um, I mean, uh, you know, I think, Joan, you said you were in California. And Kelly, I don't recall where you're located. But um, are there things you guys are doing that, that are for self-care that are helping you kind of, I don't know how long you guys have been quarantined. We In Chicago, we just got the shelter-in-place order on Saturday. But, you know, in my house, we, this is like day nine of um, kind of social isolation and uh, social distancing. Um, so what's working for you guys as far as that you would care to share with self-care? Well, I think for us, um, you know, we're a two-person company and we, we're five years old. And so we've spent, you know, almost every day together for five years. And um, and so it's been very difficult to be separated. So what we've done is, um, is uh, set up a Zoom every day at one o'clock. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, even if we don't have anything necessary to say, we just kind of hang out for an hour and that makes us sort of accountable to each other. And, you know, we, before this, we wrote separately work separately a lot anyway, um, because, you know, you're developing content, you, you know, you go off and you write some pieces, you get back together. Um, the other thing is we run a big meetup, um, passing a 3d printing meetup and pre printing LA and that's gone virtual. And I haven't to this point mentioned our website where you can get a lot of these resources, which is mm-hmm. nonscriptum.com N O N S C R I P T U M.com. Mm-hmm. And we have links to under events, Events is sort of a misnomer now, but under events, we have some of our virtual events if people are interested in that. And you may have said you guys are separated. Is it due to um, like a compromised immune system or just that you guys ended up in different geographical places when all this started to happen? Or Well, we, we only live about 10 miles apart, but California is under shelter at home. Oh, okay. okay. And so, you know, technically we're an online education business, so it's sort of gray, but, you know, for... A couple of weeks, we figured we can manage, and then if it gets to be more than a couple of weeks, we'll have to see, we'll think about and understand what the rules are in more detail, but we figure a couple of weeks we can make it work. If it gets to be a lot longer than that, you know, all the re- the video equipment is at Rich's house, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the background stuff is at my house, and if we have to actually exchange physical stuff, you know, we'll have to decide what, you know, where we are legally on that. So Kelly, what about you? Where are you, can you remind us where you're located and just uh, any, anything you want to share personally? I'm in Boston, um, south of Boston in a small town. Um, and we've been kind of sheltering in place, um, like isolation pretty much since last Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out, it was kind of eerie then, no one was really around. And a few schools had already canceled Friday. Um, we had school on Friday. Then we mm-hmm. started our spring break. We were supposed to go away. So up until Sunday night, we were still kind of like, do we go? Do we not go? Do we go? Mm-hmm. Um, we decided, obviously, not to go. We were going to California, so I'm glad we didn't go. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's been interesting, I think, mostly just trying to have family abide by the rules mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Um, um, as people were saying, you know, our my parents don't really want to abide by the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think my kids are anxious because we're anxious because we're not sure what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of in staying in the house to keep other people safe. So it sounds like we lost Kelly's audio and um, 
that's too bad. But we, I just want to say thank you, Kelly, for taking time to talk to us. And Joan, you're still with us. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us and um, take care of yourself and stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to the Depth and Life podcast. A very special thank you to the educators who have taken time to talk to us during this troubling period. If you are an educator and would like to join an upcoming conversation, send us an email at info at We would love to hear from you.